What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. I don't really do much of a, a podcast intro, like a blah, 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 blah. Not, not into that as much as I used to be. No, it's not, I used to be though for a long time. Um, so thanks everybody for coming out. Um, tonight's going to be questions and answers with Department of Fish and Wildlife. Alan Gregory is definitely kind enough to come out here and uh, field questions. The last time that we did this at West Coast Archery Shop, it was extremely beneficial for me and it was extremely beneficial for a lot of other sportsmen around the state as far as getting a better understanding of some regulations that there might be gray area, there's not much clarity on it. Um, and hopefully tonight, that's the exact same intended purpose. Um, so hopefully some of you guys can get some better clarity and, and get some answers to some questions that you have. Uh, before we dive into it, I am going to thank Deadeye Outfitters. They're a podcast sponsor. Uh, I appreciate them. They provide great socks, hats, shirts, hoodies, all kinds of apparel. www.deadeyeoutfitters.com. Check them out if you want some cool gear. Um, so with that, I'll dive into Alan Gregory. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. How was the drive down? Hit some traffic. Been dealing with uh, some heat. Was shooting this morning and uh, this afternoon before I headed out here, so it got a little hot. So had a little air conditioning time to cool off, but I'm doing all right. Nice, nice. And you guys are in the heat of it right now. A zone is coming to an end, so yep. you're. And then there's been a sheep season, tule elk season. Yep. D zones open currently. Yep. D zone archery and D zone. Most of the D zone rifle hunts will be starting and B yep. zone. Yep. And, and C zone. zone. Yeah. So yeah, this month's a big month for openers. Right. And then uh, first part of August, all the X zones. Does that mean you guys are pretty busy? In some areas, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, the uh, West Slope will be really busy here in the next couple weeks. Uh huh. Right on. So. We'll dive into it, um, and if nobody has any questions straight off the bat, um, we can come up with questions. Um, but we'll start. Does anybody have any any questions? Did anyone come up with any lists? Yeah, go ahead. If someone could hand him the mic, that would be great. Well, I had two questions to begin with, and then I heard some people talking, so it makes it three questions. Perfect. First one is the copper bullets. Okay. Um, I've done some reading and research, which I might be in the wrong place. How come fishing game, forestry, BLM land people didn't fight this? I mean, uh, uh, condors are way down south, they're not up here. So our coyotes are doing well, our mountain lions are doing good, the black bears are even down here in the valley. So why didn't anybody put up a fight for the copper bullets? Well, against the copper bullets? Yeah, against the the non-lead against the non-lead or non-toxic bullets so copper is yeah. just a material used yeah, to make I the bullets okay. uh, but you know the science behind it we we all know that lead is bad there's no argument that lead is bad there have been studies in other states uh, minnesota that have really shown the the 
the lead levels in, in the animals, particularly raptors and scavenger birds, is elevated during and after the hunting seasons. So as an environmental aspect law, it's not just for the condors. Now, I, I've said this before that I think the law could have been implemented in a different way. Like it could have been a voluntary thing, similar to what Arizona is doing. Uh, but instead, it went through the legislature and passed, and therefore the department is mandated to yeah, but create thing, why regulations. Why did anybody fight? Say, well, this is not really a well, smart or a good thing to so, do. So, a department like Fish and Wildlife can give an opinion on on a law through a what's called a bill analysis, but we really don't do that. We just when we say it, we say oppose if amended or accept. There, there's kind of categories that we do, and whether the legislature heeds our uh, what we suggest is up to them. We're we're we work for the legislature essentially, just like you know the people of the state elected the officials and we work for them so we're kind of at their will and i i agree the the agency with the overall management of wildlife should have a greater say in bills and laws that get passed that affect wildlife but well, uh, you were talking earlier about the the burger bur bullet blowing right. up i've heard many people talk about the copper bullets barns mainly going right through sure and, and a lot of deer are lost you know, because uh, there's no blood trail, and uh, I, uh, I've, well, I, I shot one about 125 yards, okay. went right through them, okay. entered and exit. I mean, the hole was like that. Okay. And luckily, I saw the direction he went, and I found him. But there was no blood. Where? I mean, there's nothing. If and, I can ask you a question, where where did you hit the deer? Right, upper chest. Lung, upper lung upper chest. Okay, so pierced both lungs. Yeah. And it didn't bleed it out didn't of either bleed holes. Out, nothing. I, I can't say why it would have done that. What I will tell you is my experience with the lead, and I, I switched over to copper in 2008. Uh, and I shoot exclusively Barnes triple shock bullets, the yeah. tip triple shock bullets. And I have had no animals that have been more than one shot, well, take that back. One animal that was more than a one shot kill. I have recovered bullets. And I have had complete pass-throughs, but I've never had an issue finding an animal due to where it was hit. Well, I've heard many people say they've lost them. I have heard that, and... I'm not saying they make good shots or bad shots. Well, yeah, we can't, we can't make that assumption. But what we can say is that, uh, you know, I, I can only speak from my experience, and I wouldn't consider myself a great shot, but a proficient shot. And I haven't seen those issues. Okay. I think it's a lot of misconception. There's uh, switching over to the new bullet. It performs differently than lead. It doesn't expand as easily as a lead core bullet. So therefore, you have to rethink your shooting. If you're shooting a 168 lead bullet, you should maybe drop to 150 to increase that velocity yeah. to get that expansion. Now, at 120 yards, like your shot was, it. it Give or take it. it shouldn't have made a difference, but you found the deer, and it ultimately killed the deer. So, well, he was dead when I found him. He was dead, right? How long did it take you to find him? God, what was it? I feel uh, well, I got lucky. 
I, uh, I searched for him for about 30 minutes, uh, about ready to give up. I couldn't find no blood, no nothing. I was coming back out of the canyon, I ran right into him. Gotcha. I mean, I, I got lucky on that. Gotcha. Uh, so, you know, um, I agree. I think it should have been up to the hunters if they wanted to use lead or copper. But Okay, my second question is, uh, after 15 years, I got drawn for an elk tag this year. Congratulations. What unit? Uh, Marble Mountain. Fantastic. And to talk to the biology. But uh, my question is, you go the western states, a resident pays anywhere from $25 to $45 a tag. We get zapped for 450 Why are we paying so much? I was so born much? here and I'll probably die here. Right. <laughs> so why we get ripped off? I, I'm, called, I'm, I'm considered a rip-off. Yeah, no, you, you can say that. It's fine. I mean, it's... Uh, the pricing on the elk tags, where that started and where that initiated is, was from when they were very, very limited, right? So the opportunity to hunt elk when, when the hunting first started in the 80s was very limited. And the price wasn't an issue then, right? Inflation has gone up. But when you compare it to all the other Western states, residents, yeah, don't pay anywhere near what we pay for an elk tag. Uh, there was a bill that went through to reduce that last year, and that got killed. So uh, I know a couple of the NGOs, non-governmentals that were kind of got together on that one, they went through and they looked at every other state, what they pay, and they kind of gave a, a baseline for what California residents should pay for an elk tag and that got killed so uh the juniors right they they pay less now you know, but the adults still have to pay the full price and why that is i couldn't tell you i really don't okay. know uh, i just think you know you because i hunted out of state many states and right? uh hunted montana two years ago and a resident said i could buy an elk tag a deer tag a bear tag get my fishing license and buy my license for less than 125 dollars as a resident as a resident right. and you just we paid twelve hundred for an yeah. elk and deer tag. Yeah. <laughs> I pay every you know every year I go to Wyoming and I pay less for an elk tag in Wyoming than I do for an elk tag here in this yeah, state. Okay. So and I've been lucky. I've been drawn twice here in California for elk. So you it's got pulled, huh? apparently that's the rumor. <laughs> this guy over here is looking. I definitely got pulled. But no, I got drawn once before I became a game warden. The other one was on points. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's and my third question was people talking, listening to them. And I didn't know this, so I'm kind of putting myself out there. It's all right. Uh, killing a deer. Uh, a lot of times, I, I'd say an individual uh, dragging him out of the canyon or backpacking them and stuff doesn't put his tag on there until he gets to the vehicle. Right. And I've heard that uh, an individual got written up for that. Now, do you have to, if you can fill it out but not put it on the animal and take it out, is that against the law? I mean, is that. Uh, so citation. right so what you're talking about is 4336 of the fishing game code and i'll just give you a quick little excerpt of that section what that says so filling out tag and the requirements person who has a deer tag has been issued shall carry the tag while hunting right so if you're driving around and you see a deer and you you're off in the field and you shoot a deer and you left your tag in your backpack in the back seat of the truck you don't have that tag in possession so, but that's another issue. Upon killing that deer, the person shall immediately fill out and ta tag completely, legibly, permanently, cut out punch holes, remove notches, punch holes the month, day of the kill. Deer tag shall be immediately attached to the antlers of a buck or the ear of any other deer. So, the question you have is that 
if well, you have to drag it through a bunch of brush, do you really want to attach it to the antlers? Yeah. And well, the answer yeah, is... Uh, which probably a lot of people here, we've uh, killed you know, animals down in the bottom of the canyon. Absolutely. And you're by yourself. Okay. And you got to drag it out or try to corridor it. And, you know, I mean, you do have a chance, in my opinion, of losing it. I mean, you know, like Absolutely. Through and, you know, but yet, uh, what they were talking is you, you get it to the your vehicle okay you put the tag on it's not like you're driving down the road and don't yep. have the tag on it you just wait until you get to the vehicle but somebody said they got a citation for not having it so it. what you're referring to is letter of the law right yeah. what the law actually says and then there's spirit of the law so i can't comment on that what that warden did or whoever cited him uh because did he do anything wrong letter of the law wise no if, if his citation met the elements of the crime or I say crime, but it, you know, it's, it's still a violation. He could have written that ticket. Now, spirit of the law would say if he had the tag filled out and it was in his pocket or in his backpack and the reason, which is completely understandable to say, I didn't want to attach it while I was dragging it out because I didn't want to lose it. Then the warden could have said, all right, well, you got your tag, throw it on. Let's, and you're done. That's the end of it. So, it could go Individual. either way. That's just discretion, right? We we are afforded a very high degree of a discretion in our line of work. So, but that discretion comes with the decision to warn or cite. And for some people, the it's easier to be strict letter of the law because it takes that decision-making process out of their hands. They said, you committed this violation, I'm going to write you a ticket for it. Other, other officers, and this goes for all law enforcement, like they can say, I'd like to be able to make my decisions on a case-by-case -case basis depending on the circumstances of the, the violation at the time. And that's spirit of the law. So it could have been the officer. You know, it, that could have been his threshold for citing for that section. And I can't, as long as he met the elements of the crime, I can't, I can't say he did anything wrong, and I won't. Could that be something that could, you could, I know that you can um, submit for changes on different rules and stuff? Could that be something you could submit to say more on uh, before transport? So you have that opportunity to drag it out to take a picture or something like that and then put the tag on before you transport? So considering the fact that this is a law, and does anybody need a refresher on civics? How laws are made and how regulations are made? Because I can do that real quick. Yes, yes and no. Um, does anybody want that quick lesson? Laws are made by the elected officials. So the laws in this book, the Fish and Game Code, are made by our elected officials. They vote on them, they get passed, they become law. Law is what gives our Fish and Game Commission the authority to make regulations. And that's what this big binder is. All these regulations that you guys have to follow as hunters, fishermen, uh, commercial fishermen, are in this book and our appointed five-member commission creates these based on this. Now, what you were saying is that, can we amend 40, 43, 40, uh, 4336 to say, except in times when a uh, potential loss of the tag you know, could occur? Sure. You would have to convince either some group or your local state senator or assemblyman to sponsor a bill that changes that section. So can it be done? Absolutely. Is that something that the department would probably sponsor? Probably not. 
uh, just because it, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not as important uh, to the department. And, and honestly, we don't get to sponsor a whole lot of bills as a department. Uh, we can make suggestions for law changes, but most of that's just le it's left up to the elected officials and lobbyists and NGOs. Uh, they can get bills started yeah, too. Right. Right. But I was curious about that because it just makes things a lot easier if you can drag it. Don't have to worry about well, how this how this fishing game officer feel today. Could you hand him the mic? So you know. Feeling like the spirit of the law. So, no, could go ahead. I, I sorry, I didn't catch that. Can you say that again? Well, I was just saying, uh, if you change that to uh, to say that you put the tag on it before you transport it, you fill it out immediately, and then you put it on before you transport. Like, say you're dragging it out of the bottom of the canyon, and I've hunted with him. I know where he's talking about, and it's hell. <laughs> and but. If you love to hunt, you're going to go. All right. So to, to do that and not take a chance on losing it, you, you hold the tag until you get it up to the top. Then you put it on. But in our area, there's an awful lot of people getting ridden up for not having tags for, on their deer because they, they, don't, um, they don't tag them. As soon as you, there it is right there. I just found it. Run up and put a tag on it. Or you take a picture of it and it doesn't have a, a tag on it, which... Fishing game uh, regulation books up until this year, you've always been able to find pictures in there that didn't have tags on the animals. Right, yeah, that, that so, started a couple years ago. Yeah, right. so I mean, selective enforcement is kind of BS, and that's what you have. That kid that killed that big bull up north, he had a fishing game officer um, biologist come out and get in the picture with him, no tag on the bull. And then finally, you see a tag on the bull in the pictures in, in the Eastman's magazine. Right, but I'm just saying, you know, you kind of get away from the selective enforcement. Right, it's taking discretion out of our hands, is what you're saying, uh, to to do that. Now, I, I would, I would, I don't like to disagree with people, but to say in our area, a lot of people are getting written <laughs> up for this and that. I don't know. I, I mean, be able. I shouldn't be able to name three or four people. You know, no, don't name them. I don't want no, you to I'm name not them. Going to. I'm <laughs> just saying, I shouldn't be able to, as an individual in an area, be able to say, well, this person, this person, this person, this person been written up because they didn't have a tag on it or because the tag came off when they got it um, validated and it wasn't put right back on. You can still see where it was curled up, but it wasn't put right yeah, put those, back that's, on. Yeah, that's stretching it. I mean, it's... Uh, I could probably count on, the, on one hand the number of times that I walked up on somebody who had just killed a buck who didn't have a tag filled out i mean and i'm not saying i mean i worked a deer district for 10 years and probably on one hand i could count the number of times it just it's so rare unless somebody's hunting off of a road then we run into those more often but like if we're talking about people walking down in a canyon yeah i mean we could listen for a shot and go to -choo 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 -choo, try and find somebody down in a canyon it's just the chances of that happening are, are slim There's to none. So, it just the amount of times that happens is just it's super rare, and uh, yeah, I mean it could be proposed, sure, to say absent these circumstances, uh, or or it must be filled out immediately, and then prior to transporting home or or in a vehicle or something like that. Right. 
uh, could alleviate the, those issues. Sure. It could absolutely be done, but it would have to go through the legislature. So with the transporting, if I kill one here and I live in Vacaville, there's a fire department down here, yep. but I go that way, I'm not having it validated in the closest spot, but I'm en route home. Sure. I get written up for that. You could. Letter of the law. Yeah. Letter of the law. You could be. But if, if I show you my address and I'm right on the way and I stop at the first available place, go in that direction, you know, is, is the intent really to just write you up or is it to keep people from blatantly breaking the law? Now, see, the, the, the reason behind these laws is like, like the transportation without getting it validated, right? We want you to get it validated as soon as possible, right? right. That way we it, it can be determined that that was a legally killed deer. Um, the reason for saying it transported to your house is to prevent somebody from sneaking a deer home and then reusing a tag, right? So if you don't fill out your tag but put it on the antlers, and go like, I'm just gonna get home. If I get home, great. I'm gonna make it and I'm gonna reuse that tag. It's called a slick tag. Same thing, same thing with not filling it out. So what is the definition of immediately? Like, can I ask you that? What is your definition of immediately? If well, I were to if say. I, for me, if I, when I find my deer, recover my deer, if I wanna take a picture or if I'm, you know, just take a quick picture of it to send to somebody, I'm gonna get a ticket. So let me ask you this. Is your definition of immediately one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, or an hour? Well, long enough to fill it out, take a picture, and then attach it. Because I pretty much always fill them out before before I would take the picture. Right. Because you don't want, at least if I feel like if I fill it out, then whoever, if somebody happens to come up, then they know there was the, the intent was there to do it right. So, so how long, I don't want to dwell on this one, but how long would it take you to fill it out and take a picture? Well, because I have bad eyes, I gotta have my glasses. It takes me a few minutes longer. But just within but a few minutes. But you're seeing the, the predicament you put yourself in, and then you put us in, is for you because you're. Oh, I didn't have my glasses. I couldn't see the numbers. I, yeah, I couldn't. My cell phone was dead. I really wanted to take a picture. Well, I use the phone All this stuff it. that we have to to wade through, right? It, it's it's easy for some people to just say it's not immediately attached. Here's your ticket. Now, but I don't if you're know. still in the area where you found it and stuff. It's not like you're trying understand. to hide anything. I understand. Some people do, though. Yeah. Some What's people your definition do. Of um, I give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I'm okay with taking a picture. If that deer gets moved at all from where it was killed, I mean, I'm, if, if you move it like, oh, there's a little hill right there to, to pull the head up so I can gut it and you know use gravity in my favor, I'm not worried about that. But if it gets moved from that general area, that tag better be completed. I think for the most part, I mean, kind of being Kill, kill a deer in this general area, and you're going to take pictures in this general area and clean it up and, and do everything just before you start to head out. That deer needs right. to be tagged. At, tagged, yes. Yes. It, I mean, filling out the tag, punching those holes doesn't take long at all. Yeah. I mean, so you got plenty of time to take your pictures. Granted, A zone, 110 degrees. You want to get that yeah. deer taken care of as quick as possible. Absolutely, I understand. So if you see the picture, say an hour later and it doesn't have a tag on it but it does now because it's been an hour and i already tagged it are you going to try to cite me for no. that no absolutely not no it's when i get to it right and if it if it's tagged when i get to it it's all good so okay so um there was a, you got another, another question? question yeah I sweet do. 
coyotes. You shoot a coyote. Yep. What do you have to do with them? Nothing. You can leave them it's a non-game animal. There's no requirement to uh, utilize the meat or utilize the hide. So you can shoot coyotes and leave them. Jackrabbits. Same thing. Non-game animal. Okay. That's what it does. Yep. Sure. Cottontail's a different story. They're a game animal. Right, right, you got to right. use those. Um, if you confiscated somebody's gun, okay. on a, on a, if they were hunting, did something, say they didn't do their tag right or something, the misdemeanor stuff, most of, most of your... Yes. Um, Most efficient, yeah. Misdemeanors, and you confiscate their gun. Where do those guns go? So the process for that is, is, so we as wardens, when we seize a gun, we have to fill out what's called a firearms tracking form immediately. Not I mean immediately, but you know, at the end of our at the end of our day. There's no there's no time limit. Ahead of transport, right? There's no time limit. You guys got me there. The, uh, uh, so. We have to fill that out, and basically, it's all the possessor's information. We run the gun, see if it's a, the possessor is actually the owner, if it's registered at all, and it just goes on this form, and what make, model, of gun it is, and then some real quick circumstances of the violation, why it was seized. Uh, that form gets faxed to our dispatch, that enters that firearm into the AFS or automated firearm system. That way, if the person we seized it from, just like stealing a car. You know, you go burn your car down and say it was stolen, Call, go home and say it was stolen, but you were the one that burned it down, same thing. You can't go home and say, oh, my rifle was stolen, I would report it. No, it's not how it works. We enter that in as a seized gun. So that's the first step. You're an American citizen. You are in America, you are held, you are given the chance for due process, right? So you go through your court trial, we hang on to that gun. You're found guilty and the judge signs what's called a forfeiture order or himself orders the gun forfeited and destroyed, then we forfeit it. We have to hold it, I think, for 60 days for an appeal. And after that 60 days, then we can destroy them. Uh, if the court orders them returned, then the, the person who was seized from or the owner of the firearm needs to go get what's called a DOJ clearance letter and basically you fill out a form and say, you know, this gun was seized. Uh, they basically like run your background like buying a new gun and they'll send you a letter with a embossed gold seal that'll say so-and-so is clear, you know, to buy, you know, possess this firearm and bring that to us. And we'll get, we'll, there's a, a couple of little things to do, but then we can return the gun back to you. That's basically the process both ways. You have to get it back. So the person it was seized from would have to submit paperwork for the court to do that, or would it just automatically be done? For the court to return it, or yeah, for the court to um, <coughs> issue the paper so that he could he could do submit to DOJ and stuff. And so most of the time, what happens is the on the court docket, the or after the case, the DA will attach a letter saying the evidence is no longer needed in this case. Uh, return to owner or okay. yeah. it's like if they just pay a fine you know sometimes yeah like that, that yeah. yeah the disposition of the evidence is still left up to the judge but sometimes the judges don't uh, really acknowledge the evidence like say if you plead guilty they'll just say all right yeah pleaded no contest you know thousand dollar fine uh, nothing else no other terms and at that point the DA will say well we don't need the evidence anymore the gun can be returned well, I, I know a guy that told me he's had two guns taken. He's never yep. heard anything but back from him, and he just paid the fine. So he's never gotten them back. He's never gotten them back. 
They might have ordered him destroyed. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. Okay. Well, so I, I, he should be at least contacting the court, trying to. Absolutely, find out. that's okay. what he has to do first. Contact the court, and get a court docket. Okay. Then he can start there. Okay. Definitely. Any other questions? Uh, probably. Anybody? Uh, Come on. Okay, buddy. Come on. All right. My question is, uh, I hunt a zone a lot, and it's hot, yeah. and there's rattlesnakes everywhere, and I wear snake boots. And I carry a sidearm. Am I allowed to carry snake shot? In your sidearm while you're deer hunting? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's le it's lead ammo. So why are you carrying the pistol? As a sidearm for protection from snakes and anything else. And what's your snake shot going to do against a uh, person? I, I before I always had two swap rounds. out magazines. I have different magazines, but my first two rounds were always snake shot. Right. So. And then I keep copper, um, Barnes copper in there. Is that legit or is it? So there's an exemption in the law for, for handguns carried in for personal protection. Right. Okay. So you can have your regular lead core bullets in your pistol while you're deer hunting, as long as that pistol is used for personal protection only. And not hunting. And not hunting. I mean, it's spelled out. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm right here on the page. You got it? I got it right here in the big book, right? So let's see. So nothing in this section is intended to prohibit the possession of concealable firearms, pistols, containing lead ammunition, provided that the firearm is possessed for personal protection and is not used to take or assist in the take of wildlife. Is a snake considered wildlife? It is. It is. Right? So, technically, letter of the law, you would be, it's not really classified as anything. Um, <laughs> technically, letter of the law. I yeah. mean, we just, we just yeah, five, six, eight years ago, however many years, changed our name to Fish and Wildlife from Fish and Game. Wildlife is on all-encompassing term to include all species. So, I'm not using that as a justification for this for this, but I'm just saying a rattlesnake would be considered wildlife. And letter of the law, your lead snake shot would probably be a violation. Okay. And my other question is, um, I wanted to go coyote hunting with my AR and I yep. haven't done it. Okay. And it is a pre-ban and I have it You have registered. all the paperwork? I have all the paperwork and I even keep it with me. But um, if I was to hunt with it and have a five round magazine, with lead-free ammo, is it still legal? Well, we don't regulate the firearm per se. You could have a 30-round magazine for coyote hunting if you could legally possess the 30-round magazine. Okay. So uh, we only limit magazine capacity on shotguns. We don't limit magazine capacity on rifles at all. Okay. So if you can legally possess a uh, you know, 20-30-round mag, then you can hunt with it. Yeah, there's no, no rules there. Now, what are the chances you're going to get 30 rounds off at a deer? I'm thinking or, a coyote, I'm or more, even a coyote. More hassle than it's worth. Good yeah. idea. Yeah, I Stick with it. the 10s or less just for the lack of hassle. I agree. Chances are you're not going to get 10 rounds off at a coyote at all. I wasn't trying. Just No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, just <laughs> it, I'm just giving advice. Yeah, advice. Right? I understand. You carry 
ten, ten round magazines. Yeah. Just and you're one good. to hunt with it. I'm a bad shot. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that we don't have many problems in California, like say Wyoming and, and a bunch of other states where they have bigger bear problems and everything else. But uh, in the state of California, you can't even have a pistol in your camp during archery season. Who says that? Thought that was like a California law. Why? Why can't you have a pistol in camp though? Well, according from what we heard from a game warden, because uh, like you can't even have a you can't have a uh, pistol in your possession during archery season. That's right. Why you're hunting? Yeah. Why you're hunting? Yeah. Are you hunting in your camp? No, but still, they said in our camp completely. And they might be saying it's safer to just not have a pistol. Period. But even no, the- if you're hanging around camp, you know. It, there's no, there's no violation with that at all whatsoever. You have to be actively hunting for for that rule. If your backpack in. You have your backpack in. What are you doing, right? I mean, you're gonna drop. Like, that looks like a nice ball. I'm gonna sit there and glass it, and you got a pistol on you. Different story, right? You know, yeah, you're carrying your camp on your back at that point, but it's it's what you're doing at the time of contact. Or what the warden has seen prior. Yeah, because I, I was under the understanding that we couldn't even have one in possession at all. Even, no. Even back at camp during archery season. Let me, let me put this scenario out there. You are not a hunter. It's archery season where you're camping. Can you have a pistol on you then? Yeah, but yeah. They, don't, they don't have a deer tag in their possession either. They're not hunting, though. I mean, it, it's... That rule I, know, I know it's a one in a million chance that you're going to get attacked by a black bear or a mountain lion, yeah, but at least. if you do in California with a bow, you can't protect yourself at all. You, you tell that to the guy like Andy that. interviewed who stuck that mountain lion right in the eyeball with his arrow, and that worked just fine for him. My, uh, my, I say that jokingly, but that's just serious, man. I, I yeah. mean, that guy, he didn't have a pistol on him, and he was able to take that lion that was... Actively yeah, stalking I'm not going to say we're the only Which state that doesn't like allow this. The pistol or the bow? The arrow. And I'm not going to say arrow, we're, stone we're the only state that doesn't thing. allow this because I don't know that. But to my knowledge, we are one of the only states that you are not allowed to carry a pistol during archery season. Well, Possibly. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but in the state of California, you can carry a pistol on you during archery season as long as there is no deer tag in your possession. Thank you. So if you're a predator hunting... You are more than, by any legal matter, you're completely allowed to carry a pistol on you. But, I, but I'm mainly talking about But if about you're deer, deer hunting, hunting, you cannot carry a firearm on you. So what Andy's referring to is a, was a, real, a new law that just passed, or regulation that just passed, where the commission said, if you are archery hunting in California for anything but deer, you can carry a sidearm. The reason why they didn't include deer is because the deer section, the section that prohibits carrying a firearm during deer season is in this book. And that requires a legislative change, not a regulation change. So that's why can't do it for deer yet. It's being pushed. It's being pushed. It's more of a gun right issue than a hunting issue. Uh, If you really look at where the the nexus is this thing the the guy in the nra shirt's shaking his head it's a gun right thing and and we're not i I hope we don't go get into the gun right thing uh but it's you can do it for if you're bear hunting specifically archery there is no archery bear season right yeah but if you're archery elk hunting under an archery tag you can have a pistol on it if you're archery antelope hunting you can have a pistol on it now 
it just changed. So, but deer still, because it's in the code and it's a law, it needs to go through the legislature, it's gonna be some time before that occurs. So, uh, but in camp, if you're not actively hunting, it's not an issue. So that is fine at camp? Oh, on the National Forest? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're in the field hunting though, it better be non-lead. I mean, they don't care what kind of bullets get shot at them. They don't care what the bullets are made of. So, come on, guys. So we're gonna take a question from the internet. Oh yes, these are good ones. <laughs> and it's, it's, what's one thing hunters and non-participating hunting supporters can do to help improve? animal numbers and ultimately opportunities for hunting each of these species antelope sheep elk pigs and deer oh wow that's a big question that's a big question read that again? <laughs> yeah it's it's that part right there <laughs> other than throw money at different organizations yeah i left out some of the stuff All right, so, so this is a great question, and, and I think it's a, it's a multifaceted question. Uh, I think one of the first things, what can non, hunters and non-hunters do to increase opportunity for these particular hunts, these higher quality hunts? I mean, pigs, private land issue, uh, we, that's a separate thing. But like the elk, the sheep, and the antelope, we can talk about those. So one of the biggest and most expensive things that our department does are animal surveys. They cost a lot of money. Sheep, it's a ton of helicopter time, and helicopter time is expensive. Um, I mean, this sheep here, you know, the head of Goliath that uh, Jason paid two thirty, two thirty, two thirty-five for. Two thirty-four, I think. Two forty-five. He paid two hundred forty-five thousand, of which ninety-five percent of that money goes back to the department's sheep program. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. That money is going to be used for surveys and whatever else, relocations, translocations, whatever you want to call them. But the general public uh, down in uh, the uh, San Gabriel Mountains of Los Angeles County got together and they did sheep surveys. They went out and they counted sheep. This is an official thing. Volunteers got together, took different drainages, and were able to count sheep for these surveys. Not to say they're gonna start a hunting program in the San Gabriel Mountains, but that's something, if set up properly, the public can make a difference in with, uh, with county sheep. Elk, we've got all three subspecies of elk. You know, So two of the elk are pretty easy to count. They're generally open country animals. Uh, they count those very quickly by plane uh, and helicopter. Uh, Rocky Mountain, a little more uh, timbered country, a little bit harder to count, uh, but Think about if surveys were done consistently for five years straight on uh, set transects through the forest and the number of cow-calf cow ratios were determined and the bull numbers were determined, yeah, then decisions could be made to say, hey, this herd can handle more hunting. Roosevelt elk, whole different animal, right? I mean, thick, nasty country, very hard to count by ground, by air. I mean, unless they're coming out in your hay field, which is the reason for a lot of the share hunts, is they're coming into a lot of the ag fields and causing damage and competing with cattle. Uh, they're very difficult and notoriously hard to count. So our department, if we want to up those quotas, we need to have hard data that says, hey, our elk population 
is here. And for those listening, here is twice as many as what we thought. It can, the herd can handle this many more tags. So just knowing that information is, and being able to back it up scientifically is what uh, we need to do. And unfortunately, we don't, our biologists are spread very thin and it's really hard for them to count these animals to the level that uh, we're being held to by not, not anti-hunting groups. Uh, we're being, our feet are held to the fire every time we want to increase quotas on something. So even though we can say without a reasonable doubt that there's a lot of elk, uh, it's hard to get those numbers increased. And hopefully everybody saw the, the big jump in share tag. Does everybody know what share, the share program is? Shared habitat or for a you know, alliance for recreational enhancement uh, program. I think they got 30 new elk tags this year. Now that's a big jump. We haven't had a jump like that probably a decade. So, uh, but a lot of that was coming from depredation and the landowners saying, hey, there's elk are eating us out of Allison Home, help us do something. So, but those animals are easy to count. They're out there in the ag fields. We know there's a bunch and we know the population can handle a 10% harvest rate. So, I don't know if that answered the whole question or not. Uh, I can say one thing that hunters can do, and this is just a, a, uh, an example of, of our how we are perceived as hunters to non-hunters and anti-hunters. We should all be proud of being hunters. There's no question. I've been a hunter since I was a little kid. Um, we should not have to hide what we do. But we need to respect the views of other people. And you know, posting a picture on your Instagram page that shows this deer with its tongue hanging out and blood running out of its nose. It's, I'm sorry, it's, you send that to your buddies, cool, right? But if it's on a public page that people can see it, it I just, we gotta do a better job with, with our own, you know, the way people look at us. And it, I would, I've been suggesting this in my program uh, to people, like don't post that kind of picture. Post a, a picture of a stack of meat that you got from that animal and say, this deer that I harvested, you know, it, it, church it up however you want. Say it's non-GMO, uh, you know, no hormone uh, injected meat, and, and it's gonna feed my family for the next six months. And I, people can relate with that. The, the death of the animal, there's a lot of people that can't relate with the death of the animal. They, uh, today's culture is about, you know, little fur babies and, you know, things like that. Seeing a deer get killed is not something they want to see. And we, if we want to prolong what we do as a recreational activity and as a valued recreational activity, uh, valued to us, we need to do our part in changing the perception other people have of us. So I know that kind of went on a tangent a little bit, but is it, does that sound fair? I mean, I'm okay with, with the whole uh, grip and grin pictures. I'm okay with it, but on a big social aspect of it in this state, it's really not helping our situation, really not. Uh, is everybody aware that the governor signed the anti-trapping bill yesterday? Is everybody aware of that? 
I mean, uh, if we want to go on that tangent real quick, does anybody want to hear a tangent on this? So, so I don't know much about the bill. The bill was kept very quiet. For something as big as the Wildlife Protection Act of, of 2019, it was kept pretty quiet. How many, uh, I, I read one article that said there was 133 uh, trappers, licensed fur trappers in California. Could be, there's, there's probably not a lot. Uh, most of the ones that were doing it were doing bobcats because of the value, uh, but there's still a few you know, residual trappers that, that were doing it. And, but if you look, did they have a whole bunch of people come to their aid, come to their defense? Who in here traps? Who in this group traps? Has a trapping license? Didn't affect any of you guys, right? Not a one. But those 133 were left on their own. So the solidarity that we need as hunters and fishermen and just consumptive users and non-consumptive users that are okay with hunting, we need to join together and have that solidarity so we can at least make a decent attempt to combat these these bills that that slip right in under the guise of wildlife protection act names so these organizations that are are fighting uh bha and cal deer and uh cwa they're all lobbying they all have lobbyists in the capital but the public is what you know we still have two hundred thirty thousand hunters in the state you know that's that's a decent number if you're all calling your legislatures then they're gonna know hey I'm not happy with this. They may not listen to us. That's their prerogative. But at least we're making an effort. We have to make an effort. So. I agree with you, but I think uh, most of us feel that it's a lost it's cause. It's a lost cause, right? I mean, uh, we can't outvote LA, can't outvote San Francisco, you know, area. Um, Funny thing is, you don't have to, you know, when something goes through in like a proposition, the things we vote on every year, uh, yeah, it's hard to hard to combat those things. But when things go through as an assembly bill or a Senate bill, you can outvote LA. You can outvote San Francisco because there's only X number of elected representatives in Sacramento. And you just have to call your representatives and say, hey, I don't agree with this bill or I don't agree with this. Here's, here's why, X, Y, and Z. But calling them and be like, you're ruining California, bro. They just, that's just going the round file. You know, they don't care. They're not going to listen to that. But if you give thoughtful uh, opinions and maybe back it with some, a study or something, then they might listen. But who's telling them what they need to know? The people with the loudest voices. It's definitely not hunters. It's the, it's the anti-hunters. They have the loudest voices. They're the most emotional. And we should be emotional too right it's it goes both ways but we're not and well something also that you brought up which was a really valid point was a hundred fur trappers that sat in silence and maybe they all fought kicking and screaming but nobody heard it at the same time the bobcat ban that just got shut down or changed around whatever the sb so that one fell through the cracks and everybody paid attention to that well the fur trapping ban which is it sounds like a lot of, you know, bobcat-related fur trapping could be the spark to push. But, you know, along with hound hunting, you know, and what you're saying is that we as hunters need more solidarity and stand in a, in a more unified front. 
and something that I hear often about fishing ga- uh, fishing game council meetings is that you have salmon guys, you have crab guys, you have striped bass fishermen, you know, you have lake fishermen, you have rivers fishermen, and they all show up almost to every single meeting, whether there's fishing stuff coming up or not for right. discussion. And hunting hunters, us, and I'm not blaming us, but I'm blaming us, we don't show up for our own cause. And it, a lot of it has to do with, I think, what you were saying, you know, where we're just kind of, most of us feel defeated because we're all so far separated in all these different parts of an enormous state. And none of us come together and none of us get unified and none of us do anything to, to have the houndsmen's backs or to have the fur trappers backs or to, you know, to have the bear hunters backs or anything like that as to where you can look at a, a really good example of the fishermen always showing up, always being accountable and always doing what they need to do in order to fight for their rights. And that's where we're falling short. But hunters aren't just hunting. Yeah. But what you just said is that that we're we're fighting with guns, and I don't know if that's basically what you just said is that they're trying to ban hunting because they're trying to ban guns, or is that how I? That's how I took it. Is am I wrong? Because I, I think it, it, especially in our state, I think it, it's coming where. Um, it will be basically the very rich will the only ones that be able to hunt anything, and uh, I think I think hunting will be banned in California in time. Yeah. Probably not in my lifetime, but hunting will be. I I don't I don't disagree with you. I I, I feel, kind of feel the same way. Uh, I think we are at a tipping point in the state at this time, and I think. If we don't, you know, put up a stand, a, a tactful stand, because I can guarantee you, the people that are proposing these bills and the assemblymen that are opposed, assemblymen and women that are opposing these bills, or, or sorry, proposing these bills, um, they have an agenda, and they have a plan, and we need to have a plan to combat that. Right now, most people are relying on their. Uh, like, do you belong to any of the NGOs, CRPA, NRA, Ducks Limited? I didn't belong to the NRA, but I gave them up. I think they just, my opinion, gave California up. Uh, they I, I, I won't disagree with oh, you there. They still do have a lobbyist in Sacramento, you know, and, and he's there all the time fighting. I am a super nice guy and he's fighting for your rights in California. You can imagine he's one dude, right? So... Um, I, I, what Andy was saying, I highly encourage you guys to go to the commission meetings. They're on our website. When you can go to the commission meetings, sit in. There are hardly ever hunters there. Hardly ever. I've attended four county commissions, including Los Angeles, and all four, there were no anti-hunters there, and I was the only hunter there. I outvoted Los Angeles that day. Exactly. And, and the county commissions are even a different animal, right? I mean, they're... Each, not each county, a lot of counties have their own county fishing game commission where the members on those are appointed by the board of supervisors and they can make small little decisions, but 
the only decision that really affects hunters in those counties is on antlerless deer hunts. They can veto antlerless deer hunts. So the the, the state commission meetings, the ones that are bounced around the state, a lot of them are held in Sacramento. Uh, those have <laughs> very low hunter attendance. And a lot of times the only people there that are pro hunting are the lobbyists. Well, I feel like most, like, most events in California do because they're so, they're not talked about, nobody knows about them. Right. Like, what I, do we know about what to go to is what Okay, so let me throw this back at, at uh, I'm not super social media uh, savvy. So how about we say maybe uh, somebody needs to take the initiative. One of the uh, NGOs needs to take the initiative to blast out uh, when a commission meeting is going to be and where. Well in advance. They're planned out for the next whole year. I mean, we know where and when they're going to be. We it's might, all available online. It's all available online. Too. But if you don't know where to look or you don't think about it, but if you get that social media blast saying, hey, reminder, California you know, Fish and Game Commission meeting, oh, on this date, it might show up. It, they're pretty entertaining sometimes. I got, I've been to a bunch of them. There, there's some colorful speakers. There are some very tactful speakers. Uh, I would encourage, if you have a well-thought-out statement, They'll give you your three to five minutes of time to to say that statement. They'll listen. They will listen. And you got to think, you're the people they're representing. So why not go tell them what you're thinking and how you feel about things? Ultimately, in the end, if they don't listen to you, at least you can sleep good at night saying, I tried. And that's, you just don't see that effort. And that's, it's kind of sad. I can only do so much. As, as a state official, I can't. Uh, unless my department tells me to, I can't go speak in front of the commission on issues. It's just that simple. So, but you guys can. So, I don't want to change gears too much. No. You hand him a mic. Change it. It's all right. Uh, yeah. Because I know this is a phenomenal topic, and I think it's something that we all should be doing. Um, and I'm guilty of not going. But I, my question was: Is a newer hunter? Um, where are some resources for me to go to? Because I got to tell you. Tarp. Learning the process and where to go is a maze that I have spent an amazing amount of time reading through, trying to siphon through it and right. figure it out and make sure I'm doing it right. Um, so what are some resources to go and be able to use to help out with that? So maybe we should have talked about like my program. Yeah. First of all. Yeah. So is everybody... Can you guys just show hands who has uh, heard of the Advanced Hunter Education Program? Two, three, four, five, like a third, like a third of you guys. So, so my program is what's called the Advanced Hunter Education Program. So everybody who's hunted here has gone through basic hunter education at the very least. Uh, the Advanced Hunter Education stuff kind of takes it to that next step and talks about we, I teach, I coordinate and or teach classes on deer hunting, pig hunting, turkey hunting, waterfowl, blood tracking, uh, trailing is part of them, uh, the whole gamut, wilderness survival, land navigation, game cooking, I've got a game processing, game cooking class uh, coming up in November down in SoCal, uh, but anyway, so these classes are all over the state, I, I, I just, I bounce them all over the state because there's a huge demand for them. 
And it's a place where in those classes, specifically the hunting classes, we talk about regulations. Make sure everybody's kind of up to speed on those regulations to keep them out of trouble. Uh, we talk about the natural history of the species, specifically the biology of the species, habitat, things like that. Stuff that as hunters, you kind of want to know so you know where to look for the critter you're going after. Uh, we'll talk about hunting tactics, hunting methods, gear. Uh, and in most classes, we'll do some kind of sign. You know, if it's a deer class, we'll go look at deer sign. If it's a pig class, we'll go look at rooting and rubs and things like that. Uh, and in most of them, we'll do some sort of game care. And that usually entails me going out and shooting a pig uh, the day before a class and bringing it to the class to, to gut, skin, process if we have time. And that's kind of how it works. So that's one thing. But also I in this, part, I was I was gonna also ask about like the lottery, like understanding that the draw, understanding like the draw, understanding like even localized, like where to go and where what zones are what sure. to be able to hunt them. So right, no. So that if you're referring to like the deer draw, that's where the biggest thing is on the deer draw. Uh, yeah, how do you how do you just navigate the draw? What the heck is a preference point? How do I get a preference point? And how do I use preference points? For a new hunter, that's Greek. That's Sanskrit. So, yeah, we talk about that in the deer class at length because it's such a, it's one of those topics that is like mysterious for people who have been flying out of state and, you know, all the modified preference point system, preference point system, whatever you want to call it, true preference point system. Uh, you understand, it's easy to understand, but for a new guy, it's tough. It's very, very tough. And it's almost to the point where it's like pulling your hair out to understand it. Uh, waterfowl draw. I mean, the waterfowl draw is crazy. Uh, and then start talking about the different regulations. Uh, exactly. We don't. We. So. So just the fact that you said that shows that there's a deficiency in how we are providing information to you. We basically said, hey, here's our website. Come to it and you apply for the waterfowl. Same thing with deer. I would love, and I've tried this to do, and I, times are cha things are changing internally. That I think hopefully in the next year i'll be able to do like a youtube video saying hey this is how you put it for the deer draw this is what a preference point is this is how you get a preference point and maybe this is some little tips on how you can get drawn for a decent zone every four to five years but you're going to get a tag every year so always remember that you can get a tag every year it may not be in the area you want it may not be uh with the method of take you want but you can get that tag or two every year so uh that's one way. Uh, if you want to learn about hunting, like CWA has probably the best NGO program out there uh, providing hunts. Basically guided hunts. <laughs> Is it Christmas already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you to put me under the heat lamp. That's what you're going to do. But anyway. Uh, you can probably just run it along the ground back here. So putting in for these draws, right, is is it's difficult. Uh, CWA has these this their program where they have all these guided hunts or DIY hunts on their lands, and I mean it's their program is growing very very fast, and they're they're getting big. So that's another way. They have their camps where you go learn how to waterfowl hunt, and then the next day go on a waterfowl hunt. Uh, 
You know, you, you can watch YouTube videos, but nothing beats a hands-on experience. Um, yeah. While you're on the waterfall topic, yeah. I, got a, I got a question for you. One pintail. Hold, hold on to that thought, and let's wrap up what we got going on with this guy yeah. first. So, where else can I get for you? VHA started so I don't know anything. I mean, I've heard about this mentor program. I don't know any of the details about it yet. I wish Nick showed up tonight. He said he couldn't make it. Um, but yeah, BHA is starting this mentor program. BHA being Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, for those of you who don't know. They started a mentor program, and that's... Uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I think it has the potential to be good. As long as hunters are willing to give up some information, right? I have my spots. I'm not going to tell you guys where they are. <laughs> yep. But I will tell you where. That was my next question. I will tell you where there's some other spots, and I. But I'm going to keep some spots for myself. But as a mentor, like I have my kid, my son, and my daughter. They're my mentees right now. It's hard for me to say, "Hey, son, I'm sorry, um, I'm not going to be able to take you hunting this weekend because I got to take this random dude hunting." <laughs> It's hard as a father. Anybody who has kids, it's hard to do that. Um, but I will, right? I, I, I usually take one person a year on their first turkey hunt, and it's it's fun. It's to, just to watch that excitement. Anybody that's harvested an animal knows that that excitement, is just that adrenaline and that respect for that critter is huge, huge. I mean, I, would, I, would, would I be wrong in saying life changing or your way of thinking changing when you harvest like a big game animal it changes the way you think about a lot of things food you know uh life yeah. you know, life and death uh if you want to get deep and philosophical we can but I, i'd rather not but uh something you can use to your benefit is uh when they send out the magazine uh the regulation magazine maybe. maybe you can you can look in the back of that magazine and you can find out every single zone in California and how many points it took to draw. So if you have a, if you have a zone that maybe you want to go hunt, you can look at it and you can say, all right, so the lowest points that pulled that tag was four points. The highest points that pulled it, the max points that pulled it was eight points. So maybe if you wait five, six years, you're almost guaranteed to draw that tag. Yeah. Which that's a really good way. There's a lot of good um, yeah, references good. also on their website and stuff like that that you can pull up. Um, and mentor hunting and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Talk to me after and, and we can talk about some stuff. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. So, uh, how many ducks are we allowed to kill in one day? Can someone pass Mark the mic? Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions real quick. That's cool. That's, so, that, that's what we're here for. How many ducks can we kill in one day? <laughs> Where yet? California. What zone? Okay. Uh, Northern California. Northeastern or the balance of the state? Like we're at here. Balance of like the state. Like if you're hunting a YOLO. Ba YOLO. Perfect. YOLO. So how, seven. How year. many geese? Well, what is the goose limit in that zone 25. This year? Okay. How many shells are you allowed on the refuge? Yeah, you're going to have to make another trip. You think that should be changed because 25. of that limit? No, so for the, the northern refuges and the balance of the state zone. So like on a really good wind day, so say Dolovan, uh, Sacramento, 
Um, there, there's a few refuges up there where you can legitly run a goose spread and a duck spread yeah. and kill your seven ducks and have a chance at ten sure. plus geese. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, are you saying are you saying we need to change the regulation to? Uh, I mean, I mean, I think bump up the maximum I number of cells. I mean, yeah, if, if we're gonna go off numbers, I think it should at least be thirty-two. I, I know that's a weird number, but at least you know, at least do something because you know you're allowed twenty-five shells, but you're allowed to legally harvest thirty-two yeah. birds out there, and then if you you can actually, if you want, also add twenty-five coots and snipe if you want. To sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean that is a re- that's a regulation, right? I think there's a lot. I mean you're I mean you're in one in one trip you could kill fifty plus birds, but you're only allowed twenty five shells. You're, but then if you go and step on private property, you could bring out a case of shells to you. Well, that's not the reason for the law. Is well it, that and exact that's the rule. That's the reason why. So well, of course. If you've all anybody who's hunted a refuge knows that not everybody waits till that bird gets within range before they start cranking off rounds. Yeah, right? but I'm more I'm more speaking for the people who are doing it correctly. I understand. We can't differentiate with Camp Lake. You are no, you're a skybuster. Twenty five <laughs> shells for you, buddy. <laughs> You're an ethical guy. Bring as many as you want. Uh, we can't do that, right? And I know I'm making fun of it, but uh, yeah, you make you make a very valid point, right? You are able to kill 32 birds, right? And uh, that's not even including uh, coots, right? If you want to shoot coots. Yeah, hey, I got a really good coot recipe if anybody wants it. But uh, this guy laughing from, yeah. Anyway, so that's your question. Go ahead. Was that just it? Mark? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's mainly it. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you, but what I can say is that that's a regulation that can go to the commission and can be changed. And to change, to all you have to do in that circumstance is submit a proposal. Right. Right? So, Mark, you could draft a proposal and submit it to Fish and Game Council because essentially any proposal that's submitted to them, they have to go. To, go they have to review it. They have to yep. review it. Yeah. Right? And because it's not a legislative issue. You make a valid point. Draft a proposal. I would say draft a proposal. Come to the commission meetings. They're fun. No, I mean, just to follow up on what Mark was just saying, I mean, my son's 15 now. I just went through, you know, five years of him starting his waterfowl career. You know, we're hunting refuges primarily and, you know, bike here, walking multiple miles out. He's not the greatest shot in the world. He's getting better, but I mean, in the beginning, you know, it was really challenging. Yeah. And, and you know, talking two plus miles one way. Yeah, I, I exactly. know. I and know. So, I mean, you guys covered the second half of my question is like, how do you get something like that changed? I mean, is it possible to get something like a you know a different supplement for youth under sixteen years old or something? Oh, and, it's, you know, it's, and, it, it's totally possible to okay. get that changed. It, all it needs is a, a good rationalization uh, and something like that, you know, except when hunting with a, you know, a youth hunter, something like that can be plugged in to where adults can't say, oh, yeah, well, I got my kid. He's over there in the Thule's, you know, half a mile away. Well, no, I don't think so. It's, uh, it, you know, your kid is hunting with you. You know, that allows you to have an extra box of shells or something like that. That can absolutely happen. Uh, it just needs to go through the proper channels, and that's through the commission. So, I mean, his son uses, yeah. that's, yeah. sure, I, that's oh, what yeah. I'm saying. It, it's just 
That, that, uh, yeah, I know that happens almost every don't, trip. Yeah. Just don't say yeah. no. Even if I'm not living it out, yeah, it's definitely going to Did I hear just don't tell them back then? Yeah. No, I know. If, if you're getting to some, like, like YOLO, you know, some of those better areas to shoot in YOLO, it's a, it's a exactly. big walk yeah, to get yeah. back there, man. Especially if it's muddy and rainy, and you know, that's miserable. And if you're running back to get a box of shells for your kid who's just blazing away. Well, I think that's, I mean, in some cases, that's not even allowed. Like, you can't, you know, just leaving them alone out there. I mean, it's right. not only... You you're a bad parent. But Terrible the, parent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, yeah, there's all kinds God, of God forbid you it. teach kids some independence. And yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's 15 now, so that's fine. I he's good, right? Eh? <laughs> you know, when he was between 8 and 10, that's, yeah, not going to happen. And so. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't bringing it up for the system. Send me a message. You know, it's a, it's a super valid point, and... I mean, you, know, you, you could you could go the entire year and not shoot one goose, and then all of a sudden on a weird random day they just completely switch up everything. Sure. And you could have a shot at your 10, 15, right. 20 geese on a public refuge. It's happened. Before. You're not a one-shot guy on every bird. <laughs> Only if I go left. Okay. <laughs> so, the uh, you know saying something like, um, God, I had a really good statement. Just. Um, you know, if you're, the limits are there, and the geese limits are liberal for a reason, right? There's, there's the geese are destroying their their breeding habitat. No, but but here's here's the justification, right? The the fact that you are hunting geese as a management tool, and how are you how are you able to properly use that management tool when you can't even have the amount of shells capable of taking the amount of game you're allowed to take exactly. i get exactly. it there's there's your 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 kind of tact right it's yes. like help us help you and type then, I mean, thing. just like you said you know the geese that are biggest you just as you know roosevelt elk up north right. of, uh, you know ranchers geese will uh, feed out you know a 2,000 acre ranch in you know a week to two weeks right and what do they do? What do they do for us for that? They open up a five-day lazy season. When most other places, it's like two to three months. You want a spring hunt snow geese on their way back north? Oh yeah, we should we should have a snow goose season until the end of April. Yeah, I don't know enough about the migratory patterns of our snow geese here on the Pacific Flyway. If it's the same as the ones in the Central, I don't know. That's I'm not a waterfowl biologist, but I think it's where those geese end up is why they hunt and the damage that's being done by that particular flyway in to why they can hunt them on, in the spring on the way back up. Uh, yeah, I mean, it can obviously take the hunting pressure. Yeah. Can I have a follow-up question Absolutely. there? Like, why isn't it allowed to hunt um, the public refuges for that those spring goose seasons? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that's a fantastic um, opportunity change right that would be something that could easily be changed you know why somewhat yeah let's hear it so uh, educate the, the public and refuges you know that's kind of what we're trying to push them to in those late in those late seasons we're trying to get them off the farm's ranches to ruin to for them to stop ruining those ranches and get them to keep them on the public land refuges so that's why they don't open up the national wildlife refuges because we want those geese to stay there, stay there. and not go on the ranches. That's why we're hunting them on private land in the late season, and we can't hunt the public land there. Hmm. 
I can see that. I can see that. I can also see that, that what's five more days, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Five more days or 60 snow geese people call them snow carp or yeah. sky carp sky carp right yeah. yeah cook them right brine them they're not that bad come on here we go oh Todd oh are we okay I have a I have a simple question about meat yeah um, and so the law is uh, all edible portions right if I hit a deer harder in the shoulder than I wanted to and get a lot of bloodshot, and I'm many miles into a wilderness, say. Um, am I pretty safe to take a picture of any bloodshot, and uh, and then if I don't pack that out, is that bloodshot meat considered edible? No. Okay. No, so uh, this has happened uh, quite a few times when I, in my time, the check a guy coming out of the field and he's got a backpack full of meat and you're like huh let's see what meat you have right because you just want to you want to make sure that they're utilizing uh the reason so as a game warden and you see that situation after a couple of times you figure out there's a an order of questions that you ask and you find out that you say Hey, all right, killed a buck, good job. Uh, tell, tell me about the hunt, right? Let's hear it, man. It's the only buck I've seen killed all day, whatever, man. Maybe it wasn't, maybe there's was 50. I don't know. The, uh, but my point is that you get, you get them talking. And this isn't a, a, a tricky way to get somebody talking. You're trying to find out information so you can make an informed decision at, if it comes down to it. So they say, yeah, you know, I saw it. It was bedded down. You know, I was able to sneak in. It, it stood up and I shot it. Cool, where'd you hit it? Did it run very far? Oh, I drilled it right in the shoulder. Right, right then, you know, I'm making that metal note going like, okay, you shot it in the shoulder. There's a chance that that bullet, more so with the lead, and this is my one, my one big thing with the lead, is that the copper stuff does far less damage to meat than the lead bullets did. So the... Uh, I'm going like, all right, there's possible if it was a punch through shot that it destroyed both shoulders. I've seen that. I've done that. And so now I'm going like, all right, well, cool. Let's let's take a look at your meat. Because there are times when you find a third backstrap. And it's not just a fluke deer that has three backstraps, right? So you're kind of piecing it together, right? You're like, all right, here's you know, here's a hindquarter, you know, here's a hindquarter in twelve different pieces, already broke down to the you know primals, and uh, here's the you know two tenderloins, here's the two loins, uh, no butchers in the group, so I could say backstraps. That's okay. All right, butchers get mad when you say backstraps, loins, but uh, backstraps, uh, and then here's your front. Where's your fronts? Oh yeah, you punched it through the front shoulder, okay. So you can come to a reasonable conclusion that if they took out the rest of the meat after a shoulder shot, they probably were able to cut off. And then you can start asking more pointed questions going like, hey, so w did you break the shoulder you know, bone? You know, that causes a bunch of damage, just the shock of it going through the meat. And you know, make your decision after that. But So do, doing the best job you can. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Fair taking enough. a picture is cool. It's great, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it could be like, oh, I'm gonna seize that phone because I know there's a picture of my evidence on there. So it's not always the best thing to do picture, but I, take your pictures. I get it. It's, yeah, right. I don't want your phone. Phones are a pain in the butt, but uh, we have seized a lot of phones because as you guys all know, there's a lot of 
information on phones, pictures and text message strings, things like that. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, do your best to take out the meat. We owe it to the animal, right? As a game warden and as ethical hunters, you know, waste of game is the probably the last thing that we would want any part of. We want to utilize that animal to its fullest potential. Did I answer your question, Tom? To, uh, yeah. you know, gun contents getting on the inside of a rib cage, for example. I mean, I've tried eating that before. It's really hard to get an edible. It, like, it, no, it, you're talking the ribs? No, the gut contents. Like, you, you spill the guts and, yeah. and, and get a lot of gut contents on the inside of, like, rib cage, for example. Like, you know, not taking red meat in that case. If it, you know, gets up in that rib cage. That's a common scenario. It happens. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, out of state, you don't have to take that. Right. Other states kind of will give you a diagram and say, you need to take this muscle, this muscle, this muscle, this muscle. We don't do that, right? We just say all edible portions. So uh, I don't hold people to hauling out the ribs. So front shoulders, rear, rear, rear legs, backstrap tenderloins. The neck meat, I, we all know there's a ton of meat on the neck. It's very, very good. Um, but... At, at least those four quarters. I, what is it? Who has the really good diagram? Arizona? They have a, one of the states have a, has a really good diagram. And that's kind of what I follow it on. It's uh, it, those, the four legs, the hinds, and the, uh, or sorry, the hinds, the back straps and the tenderloins. On bigger animals, there's all that flank meat. There's some really good chunks. But you've got to draw a line somewhere, right? It's the main the big portions of meat, the big muscle masses. And there's a ton of meat on those ribs, especially on a bigger animal like an elk. There's a ton of meat. My question, I'm going elk next week. Where are you going? Oh, you're out to Marble Mountains. Marble Mountain area, Alex Holt. Is that, is that a guide? No, no. You're doing it no, DIY? I'm going on myself. Ooh, man. Yeah. But uh, that was my question. And, because, you know, you see the movies or the hunting shows where, okay, they're packing out, you know, the hindquarters, and you know that they're not packing out the ribs and all that. Uh, California, when you say el edible. Oh, there's edible you, you meat on there. The, uh, ribs and uh, my son-in-law, he said, we're going to butcher clear down to the bone because he can make hamburger and everything yeah, else. Yeah, absolutely. But if somebody left the ribs and maybe part of the neck or whatever, I, I, you know, on an elk, especially you have an either sex tag, right? There's, there's. I got a cow tag. Oh, it's a cow tag. Okay. Even on a cow, there's a lot of meat on those necks, and a lot of very edible meat. So, uh, on our, you know, little A zone bucks, there's a little string of meat, you know, on either <laughs> side. You know, you get over here and get on the more Rocky Mountain mule deer. They got more of a neck. Um, but on an elk, there's a lot of usable meat. I mean, who hasn't cut off this? Well. Anybody who's cut off uh, the meat of a bull elk, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a roast, man. On either side, and you're like, damn, I gotta pack that out. It's like yeah. actually 20 pounds. It is, man. It's it's a ton of weight. So, uh, do your best, right? Well, you are hunting Roosevelt elk during a hot time of year. Yeah. They're a big animal. I mean, prepare right, yourself. I, um, that's one so, thing I was gonna say. The biologists I've talked to, I've talked to three or four different biologists. They. Um, Nothing against you, but I've had bad experience with game wardens and all that. Uh, I, I kind of got that gist earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the well, force, you know uh, some people. These uh, biologists have been very helpful and uh, I, good. I, 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 I tilt my hat to them. I'm they, glad to hear that. I really am. They, 
if I do or don't get anything, I think they did their best putting me where to go, best chance to get something. Awesome. I wish you luck. That's that's a that's a really that's your probably your more traditional hardcore elk hunt. I mean that's like your Rocky Mountain well, elk. Sorry, hunt. I'm too cheap. I'm not gonna pay a land order to yeah. I don't know if there's many landowners in that hunt unit that have elk on it, right? To pay. But that's that's a good hunt. That's it really is. There's some yeah. really, really nice animals and they're just big. Well one biologist sent me the last I don't know if I'm last few years of success and unsuccessful <laughs> and where where you plan on going, they've gotten two or three elk in this certain area every year. So awesome. there is some elk in that area. Right. I mean, finding them like I said a different story, but um, Yeah. That, that'll be good. I'm glad, and I, you know, I wish you luck. I really do. I got a question because we talked about copper ammo before. Yeah. Uh, and because we reload. Yep. So it says any person or manufacturers requesting to have their projectiles or ammunition certified. Do we? have to do that? No. Because no. it said any person, that's why I'm asking. Right, so uh, like like your predecessor in, in uh, with Institute Wildlife Studies, he got one of his uh, muzzleloader bullets certified. And yeah. so a, an individual can like say, I've got an amalgam of metals that I want to get certified as non-lit. And so he went through the process, they tested it, and they said, yep, you're good to go, that is non-lit. But when you're talking about reloading ammunition, yeah. like like I do now, uh, no, that's not okay. what that's Just intended for. That's the manufacturer that. of the projectile, okay. not well, the manufacturer of the cartridge. That's, that's what I right. I understand. Right. So do we need to carry a, uh, a Barnes bullet uh, package? Um, no, okay. no, uh, you, you don't. Uh, there's nothing in the law that says you have to carry any sort of identifying information for that ammunition. It's nice on the Game Warden's part to look at it and be like, oh, all right, that's a you know, Hornady uh, GMX bullet or a round cartridge, or that's a Barnes triple shot, great. But there's nothing that requires you to do that. Okay. I just never heard that, but I saw it said person. Right. No, I get it. Cut another one, just dive a little bit more. Into do it. So, I mean, I do a lot of recreating along. So I do a lot of recreating along navigable waterways okay. here in, in California. Fly fishing, waterfowl hunting, some big game hunting as well. And I'll be honest, I think, you know, it seems like one of the more ambiguous parts of <laughs> trespass law in California. Sure. And some of the more contested, right? Especially right. when it comes to floodwaters and, and all that. I mean. Can you talk a little bit more about um, your understanding of things like, you know, defining high water marks and, and just the law surrounding that and, and you know. Are we talking about any areas in particular that might better this uh, consumeness? Um, let's go Prospect. to consumeness, that's fine. Um, yeah. so, right, so what they're talking about is, is navigable waterways, right? And, and this has been this term of what constitutes a navigable water has been bounced all around, right? What is navigable? Is it floating down on a pair of floaties, mm -hmm. right? Or is it uh, for commerce? Originally, that law was meant for commerce, right? Way back when, when people were bringing logs down rivers for commerce, not, it wasn't ever really meant for hunting. 
So, but it has kind of moved into that to where it, it includes now recreation, mining, a whole bunch of, of recreational activities. So where hunters come into play is things like if you can get a boat, if you can, there's a legal ingress and egress to the waterway and you can get there by water, you can hunt on water. Right? That's why the delta is wide open because mm -hmm. it's all navigable waters. YOLO bypass is another one when it floods, right? I, I thought you were definitely not allowed to walk over the Okay. So, so there are some areas that are private land underneath, right? When a private land is temporarily inundated by water, which all of our bypasses do get, Sacramento, YOLO, uh, are you held to the same standards of hunter trespass is the question. Right. Can you just hop in your boat and, you know, your, your mud boat, and, you know, go up onto somebody's private land and shoot ducks over their land? It's a great question. Is it navigable waters? Did you take a boat there? Yeah, you did. Is it legal? Now, way back when, the, uh, the attorney general at the time gave some opinion that says, Lands you know, temporarily inundated by floodwaters are navigable waterways, and therefore uh, Fishing Game Code 2016 does not apply. That was then. That was uh, you know in the 80s, I believe. That's when he was uh, Attorney General. Um, I'm not going to dispute what he said. I'm just going to say that that's an opinion. It's not a law. It's not. Uh, it's never been really hammered out in a court of law. So there's no precedence that makes it. A law, it's, it, a lot of it comes down to the application of, of Fishing Game Code 2016, right? Do the landowners want to press charges? Because as, as a public agency on private land, the trespass, we have to have a victim. We are directed that you, we don't just blatantly enforce hunter trespass. And I know I'm kind of coming like this, but uh, so... If the landowner doesn't care or doesn't call, we can't just, unless we have prior knowledge. If the landowner says, I don't want anybody on my property at all, we can't enforce that unless we have a victim, the landowner. So when you have these flooded plains and you have like Conway Ranch when it floods, right? That's another big one. Right? They, they get all pissed off, right? But they have their stuff posted. Right? It's still in... The fishing game code under 2016 says lands temporarily inundated water and posted three signs to a mile in every entrance. That's still conceivably hunter trespass. Consumeness, same thing. Right? So that's where that comes into play. Does the navigable waters thing supersede the fishing game code? I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly, it's a very tough thing. And I feel for wardens that have those issues in their district because we're the ones on the hot plate, right? We're the ones that are going to go testify in front of the Supreme Court if it ever goes that far uh, and why we cited that. But, but there's never been a real clear guidance on that. If the land is posted, if it's posted to uh, what Fishing Game Code 2016 says, you can enforce it if you have a victim. No, it doesn't say that. We're not given that direction. So it puts us in a bad position, right? Because we want to be stewards of the hunters and 
consumptive users. But I can't tell you <laughs> to go and trespass over the Conway Ranch when it's flooded because I just don't know. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know where that, in the legal sense of uh, interpretation, I don't know where that stands. 100%. Navigable waters, you know, if you're on the waterways. But if it's a floodplain, this section is all I have to go on at this point. So, so how about how about high water mark? Like, how is that how is that defined in say? Right. You know, uh, is it hundred year flood plane? Fly, high fly water fishing mark? on the Lower Yuba, for example, or something you know, something like that. You're walking up the stream, and, right. and you know, in, the, in those cases, like how is how is high water mark? So, so the big factor the is, is you know where people get you know, this gets sticky is with legal ingress and egress, right? Access going in, going out. Uh, so if you are on the lower Yuba and you like, I don't know where you're accessing, but you access and you walk upstream, you know, and, and you are in the high, in the water or what you say, the high water mark, which is obvious, pretty obvious. Usually it's where it's most scoured down along the bottom. There's the hundred year flood plain. Some people use that, you know, that's flooded right over the banks of the levee. That's not going to fly. Uh, but if where it's scoured is your, that's your, 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 how do I describe it? You, you know what I'm saying? It's, just, it's where the river has cleaned off the rock and the debris mostly. Uh, once you get into the brush and the blackberries, that's not your high water mark. That's above high water. So, yeah. Does that make yeah, clear as mud? More, yeah, it gets way more ambiguous as you get lower elevation. It, and, and it does. It does. Uh, yeah, where you don't have quite the flow to scour. It, uh, it, it makes it harder to understand. Yeah. You get into tidal waters too. Then you're like, oh. Yeah, because I, I was always just kind of Yeah, I mean, was that a question? Just yeah. a statement. <laughs> what was the question? Like, are, are we allowed to access? I would say no. Yeah, if it's posted, I would say no. If it's posted in the water, is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah if so it's posted water. where you can see it, I would say no. Because I, because I've heard, you know, I've got a couple of different stories of where, you know, there's a, there's a sign here, but then there's not a sign all the way over here, like how, like how are you? Because there's not going to be a big fence sticking out of the water. No, no, no. no. So, Hunter Trespass, the 2016 section says three signs to a mile. Those are big gaps, right? It's a half mile between signs. That's good to know, though. That's a lot. That's 2,800 feet between signs, roughly? No, 2,700 feet between signs? So, yeah, something like that. But the, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's tough, right? It, it makes it very, very tough for you. But if it's posted, you, you take the chances of of getting cited for it. Whether it, when it goes to court or not, and I hate to say this, I, I, I would much rather give you guys a solid answer, but I just don't have the solid answer to give you. And in my position, like not my you know, employment position, but as a warden, I would say err on side of caution. And if it's posted, just because you can get there by water, don't go there by water if it's posted. So. <laughs> I hate see. I hate to even think that way, man. Because I'm here. I, you know, I want you guys to get out there. I want you guys to hunt. And there's things that we don't even know, right? 
Hey, if I can't identify the bird in hand, how can I expect you guys to identify the bird in hand as the game work? Right, that's kind of my go-to little thing, especially ducks, right? Yeah, is there forgiveness with ducks? I shot one one time and just... Turned it in, in, turned yourself in, and got a ticket. drove up to the check station and he's like, oh, good thing that season opened up yesterday. But I had no idea. It was flying through the air, I mean, in my life, but I brought it out. I could have just left it if I knew, but... Right. That's brought a, it out, would I have been sighted if I... Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, it's honestly kind of all depends on the warning. You got I've it. I've seen people at YOLO harvest like a duck that was out of season and they straight up just go like, oh no, it's a teal. Like, no, it's not. But they can tell, like, they completely did not know. So they kind of just look at them and say, I'm going to keep the bird. Yeah, we, we can't. Ahead, get on your way. Nobody's telling us to write those tickets, right? There's no mandate, no direction that says, you will write a ticket to the guy or gal who brings in a merganser. Right, out of season. It's a legal take. You chew them. But my point, or let's say a grebe, a pied-billed grebe. You know, a lot of those birds die on the refuges every year because people just think it's a bufflehead or something. And anyway, so they bring it in, and they're like, "Look at my duck." Well, that's a grebe, sir, and uh, we're gonna have to call the game warden. So the uh, yeah, right. It's up to the officer at the time to determine whether the person had an idea and they just made a mistake or they had no idea. It's up to the warning at the time. Totally. Uh, in my opinion, if you come in and throw yourself on the sword and be like, dude, I screwed up. Yeah. If you do that and you have walk out with seven birds and that bird, you're getting a ticket. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> the, I'd say burn that bird in your limit. Uh, if if that happens, I do I do remember though like like one time like what Ben was saying I was real young and uh, me and my dad my dad took me out to the refuge and remember we killed a hen gadwall and if anyone's ever killed a hen gadwall and if you've never killed gadwall you would never have any idea of like whether it's a widgeon a, a hen widgeon a hen sprig or, or what like it, it could be a number of things and you know when we kind of like asked him we asked him you know hey what kind of duck is this we got a lot of it's your responsibility oh, yeah. to know what oh, yeah. you're shooting. At the... Come yeah. on. Man, not, if if you duck hunted at any more time, if you duck hunted with people that have, can really identify birds <laughs> in the air by flight and by wing flap and wing beat and all that stuff, the glint of the neck at 400 yards. I mean, there's some people that are unbelievably good at identifying ducks in the air. I am not one of them. <laughs> right? I'm like, that's a pintail. I know that's a pintail. Right? Oh, I'm not even gonna go that far, man. Uh, I ducks are my nemesis. I mean, I can identify them in hand, no problem. In the air, different story. So, uh, I tend to be a little more lenient on the duck stuff uh, if the in the air identification is a factor. If it's a bright sunny day, something like that, little different story. But if it's a windy rainy day, makes it tough. I can tell you what, though, I would give probably mainly for the listeners, but. Uh, stomping a bird in the mud because you don't want to fall on that sword is going to make things about ten times worse. <laughs> Just always think the game warden sitting out there with our Swarovski binos as somebody had earlier, our Swarovski spotting scopes, and you know, watching every bird drop. I've done it, man. I've watched bird drop. <laughs> it's the most boring work as a game warden to watch the birds drop. <laughs> but uh, make some really good cases doing it. So... 
Those usually aren't private clubs. Don't really do that on refugees. You get burned too fast. Somebody spots you, and then text messages are flying. It's a game warden in Pond 6. <laughs> it happens. But. I've seen you guys walk out with full-fledged camel waders and a camel jacket. Oh, I've walked out with full-fledged camel waders, camel jacket, and a shotgun. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, you never know, right? Oh, no. I mean, oh, no. it's just... <laughs> Why not, right? It's a way to, to see what is actually going on. Of course. And good, bad, and different. Uh, a lot of times that's directed towards something, you know, a person. We just, it's hard to justify hopping in, uh, you know, waiters and a camel jacket and a shotgun and not have something set in mind. So don't do that all that often, but we do, definitely. Sean, no, do you have more questions? Oh, if you have more, go ahead. One more, just really yeah. quickly. Uh, in your experience, uh, you know, phone applications like Onyx Hunt, for example, land ownership boundaries. How good are those, and how how likely are they to be, you know, accurately updated? You know, assuming your GPS signal is correct, and you know sure. all of that, but you know, relative to the picture that you're seeing on the screen and, and just all that information. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on? I, I, I love the tool. I think it's it's great for both hunters. I think I said this on another one. Onyx is the demise of the secret little game warden hunting spot. I'll tell you that much. Because all those little 20, 40 acre parcels that people are like, I don't know if that's private. It looks private. No, that's BLM. And only the game warden knows that's BLM. And they were hunting it. So I had a bunch of my spots stolen by Onyx. Right? I mean, guys were like, yeah, look, I got this new tool. I'm like, yeah, Onyx, huh? Yeah, told you where this spot is. But anyway, uh, in my experience, it's, it's accurate. Now, when you, especially when you're looking at a lot of the straight line par parcel boundaries, where it doesn't take a lot of points to, uh, for the GIS people at OnX to create them, right? It's accurate because they're using, it, the technology is very, very good. Uh, when you start getting into more kind of weird lands, uh, like national forest boundaries and national park boundaries, things that follow the crests of a mountain range, for say, for instance, like the eastern boundary of Yosemite. You look at that, it's like, and if you really zoom in on Onyx, you'll see Onyx is like chink, 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 and that's not how it is. So for you to say, like, oh, look, I'm in this little spot, right, 30 yards from the national park boundary, but you're on the other side of the crest because Onyx's thing is an angle, that's probably not gonna fly. But I, I think the, the situations where that occurs is, is few and far between. And I think it's more where you have those natural borders or natural boundaries, I should say, kind of like the crest of a, a ridge or uh, a creek. You know that borders goes up through parcels. Uh, if you look at on X, it's, it'll be straight lines, not a not a sweeping curve. So it's just the number of points they enter in to to mark those boundaries. If that if that makes That's sense. But it's a great tool, and I highly recommend uh, both for keeping out of trouble and for finding those little spots and ways in. So I just started uh, trying duck hunting a couple years ago. 
and I had called the biologist. They had told me about a spot if I had a boat, and I have a friend who has a bass boat, that we could go out on the delta. Yeah. Went out there. It's uh, state land. There's okay. duck hunting blinds. We didn't have a blind. We okay. were in a boat, and we were told by someone that you're not allowed to hunt there out of a boat, that it's a blind-only section. Does that sound right? Or Where were you? Oh, you don't want to give it away? I mean, it doesn't matter. I haven't been there in uh, a while, but Frank's Tract? Oh, Frank's Tract is, okay, state recreation area. Yeah, different different story. So those people who have blinds out on Frank's Tract are, they are basically, uh, let's just say for lack of a better term, owners. And no, you cannot just pull up in their blind. Right, I wasn't hunt. even talking about in their blind, like in your own In boat, the recreation were, area. Nope. Okay, it's perfect. because they say all hunting shall be done from a blind. Okay. That you, uh, so you really can't just go freelance Frank Strapped. Right, which is funny because I called the biologist asking for places to go, and he said, do you have a boat? Because I know there's duck blinds out there. Sure. So we went out there, and then, you know, first light, a little uh, confusion. Yeah, so I haven't yeah. been back since, but I wanted to see if that was how it was accepted. Right, so. so it's a state yeah, I thought if you beat this to the blind and you pull up in that blind. At Frank Strapped? Not necessarily there, but on any kind of like water. Right. Yeah, Frank's track is a different story. Different story. It's got a different land ownership. So, but like if we're talking Liberty or Sherman, right? Theirs aren't dedicated lines. So yeah, if you're the first one there, you're the first one there. And there's been fights and all kinds of stuff that goes on in those things because people come up and lay claim to them and they say, this is my blind, get out. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's sitting here on public waters, you know? There's, there's no, they have no legal claim to that blind. It's just, it's just one of those weird little things, right? People, people in general don't like confrontation. Yeah. So they, uh, they shy away from that. They're like, oh, this is your blind, sorry, man, I'll leave. And that, that's usually how it goes. But I've heard stories. I've never seen it personally, but I've heard the stories. You know, like full-on boat battles, you know, over these blinds, over ducks, man, over ducks. So. Deer, maybe, but Yeah, elk, maybe. So, um, so, does that answer your question? Yeah. Now, as far as hunting from a boat in the Delta, other than Frank's Tract, there's a lot of places to go. Right, I look at Sherman and like different places like that. Sherman, yeah, Sherman, Mandeville that. Tip, Venice Tip on the San Joaquin side, uh, down Middle River, some really, really, really good spots that if you get them, you'll shoot some ducks. I got a question. When uh, I was going deer hunting and my brother and I both shot the same deer, and, <laughs> of course, and uh, I I shot it first. I didn't make the kill and we didn't even know that I hit it until we walked up and he shot it. And we were looking for the blood trail, and I found it, and I walked it all the way over to hit, to to the deer. And I was like, so that we found two holes in it. Is it the person that kills it? or is? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm laughing because it is, this happens more often than you think. He you got know? the deer because he, I mean, he killed it, and, you know. There's, and, this actually, uh, way back when, went to the Supreme Court. Like, way back. And uh, it, it had to do with, like, con, con, landowners that didn't like each other and they the one guy shot the deer like hopped the fence ran on the other dude's land and that guy shot it that that landowner shot it and he's like that's my deer but anyway this battle went on and it, it, it ultimately went up to the some high court whether it was Supreme Court or not 
But uh, the rule of first blood came out of that. And by that doctrine, the person who initiates the kill, causing first blood, would get the deer. That's okay. the idea. Did that end a family feud? No. <laughs> or start a family feud. <laughs> I even helped pack it out, so, you know, it's, it's okay. Did he give you any meat? No, he didn't. Sorry. I know. Didn't mean to bring that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Not even a back strap? It was all right. See, I was taught from my mentor or my brother in law who makes the first lethal shot. You can hit a deer or an elk or something in the hind quarter, and you're not going to get it. That's what happened with it. You know. Who's to say that, though? I mean, it, who's to say they're not in pursuit of that deer or elk? I know, but. And if somebody I, I, just. I agree with you there, but I mean, uh, if you know. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's crazy things happen. Because, uh, let's just say, had a little friend of mine had a confrontation. <laughs> With the game board? I like this guy. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the deer was shot in the hind quarter. Can someone his, hand uh, him a friend mic? of mine shot it and killed it. But the individual that shot it first, clear going on the other ridge, and, and he didn't have it. He just followed the shot. Right. So the friend of mine made the lethal shot, and while well, they had a you know confrontation over it, and uh, but. I always thought who made the lethal shot, you know, on you, you, which yeah, probably you too. Seen a deer with a leg shot off of the. Oh bottom. yeah, yeah, yeah. They you can know, go a long ways. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get. Oh, well, you might be able to get, but you know, more than not, you're not gonna be able to find that deer or get that deer. Sure. So, so I'm kind of mincing it up a little bit, but whether the le- the shot from the first guy was lethal. Or That's it just, just or the fact he wouldn't have found it because the deer ran three miles before it died, right? So that that, that there lies the problem is like what is considered lethal, right? Is it just a meat shot, right, where it just grazes the hindquarter, or is it you know something in the hindquarter that's probably going to kill that animal in three days? You know, after it dies from gangrene. Yeah, it's slow, terrible death. I'd much rather see that animal, you know, killed as quick as possible uh but to say that the first lethal shot is the one it, it's it's the first the person who draws first blood is should be the person that gets it my, my brother-in-law always said you know most hunters will you know okay i, I hit him but it wasn't a good shot you you finished them off good you can have them sure and then he said when the hunting shot two good. or three times i don't want yeah. With, yeah, exactly, right? Like, hey, man, take the deer. It's cool. Yeah. I'll get another one. But exactly. when the hunting's good. When it's poor, that. though, <laughs> Brand, that's my deer. So it's situational, right? So legally, it's who draws first blood. That's, that's how we look at it, yes. First blood. Do you have it on? You've been quiet this whole time, man. you got to have a question. I'm just taking it all in. All right. Yeah. How about you guys? I already knew everything. Nothing? Same thing? Taking it all in, you? Yes, here, see what we learned. All right. One last question, at least for me. So I went uh, bow hunting a couple weeks ago. You in killed a monster buck. I did kill the biggest deer I've ever seen, and because it's you know biggest deer I've ever seen, I just got it by myself. Yeah, right. I wanted to make sure that the meat was close to me. Okay. But I'm also in the backcountry by myself, 
Obviously, a bear comes in at night. You can't shoot it because it's nighttime. Uh, you can't tell if it's a sow with cubs or anything. But how would you recommend, I did bring bear spray, if a bear was to come into camp, would you keep your meat 200 yards from camp? Or would you, how would you go about that situation to protect your meat? Hang it high. Uh, so um, the area I was in, there's not a ton of trees. You don't have a lot of tall, tall trees, right? right. All right, so... Not really. I mean, I brought it in. <laughs> no, all, all those things are good ideas, right? But these bears are so in tune to the smell and their, their feeding behavior that stuff like that's really not going to bother a bear. So, yeah, what do you do, right? It's... What do you, what do you guys do? Captain a hot wire fence. Yeah, there you go. Bring a hot wire. What do you guys do? Uh, I'd just pack it all out the day I kill it. So you say, like, for example, I killed my deer right before it got dark. So, and it's far enough away from the trailhead, I figured it was best for me to get some sleep. I'll hang it where I killed the deer. And it, whether it's three feet off the ground or 10 feet off the ground with paracord, and I'll leave it in my meat sacks. And then I'll go back to where I shot it, okay. grab the meat and pack it out the next day. Cool. That's what I do. Perfect. We don't have, uh, our black bears, they're good scavengers, but we don't have a ton of problems with them in that respect. You get around areas like, uh, you know, in the outskirts of Tahoe, where those bears are very in tune to what's going on, people. Uh, but if you get in the wilderness, the wilderness bears are generally, unless you're along like the John Muir Trail or something, but uh, the wilderness bears are generally, they're doing their bear thing, right? They're, they're chewing on grasses and eating berries and they're not, really in tune to what hunters are doing. Uh, you just don't hear those problems here in California. Well, and, a, and a benefit too is like if the carcass, you know, is 50 yards or 100 yards away from your hanging meat in a tree, they're more likely gonna go for the carcass and the gut pile and the scent of that than they will for your meat and meat sacks. Right, yeah, I ended up sure. uh, gutting it and then it was about a, about a two mile camp on a hike with the deer back to camp. Yeah. So I knew that I was far enough away from the gut pile, but at the same time, I figured I might be far enough away that they I'm meaning if you're leaving, if meat. you're leaving your meat where you killed it, yeah, 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 perfect. Yeah, yeah. those gut piles stink, and that's they're definitely going to be drawn to that first. Does anyone have any further questions, Mark? <laughs> Come on, Mark. I like this waterfowl stuff. That was fun. I do too. It's different. Yeah. Oh yeah. I thought of one. There All we right. go. Can you bow fish anywhere you can legally fish, rod and reel? No. No, because, you know, if you think about uh, state parks, Folsom, oh. you allowed to bring a bow on there? Yeah. Not generally. Um, yeah, East Bay Mud Reservoirs, you're not allowed to bring a archery equipment in there, so you can't bow fish. So, no, uh, based on the ownership of the, the waterway, the particular waterway. But yeah, Delta, weapons and all that. yeah, yeah, because they have some definition of what a weapon is, and uh, or a gun, or you know, anything that shoots a projectile, or whatever their their rules are. But uh, yeah, just check with the whoever the uh, governing body is of the waterway at the time, or the lake. Generally, the lakes are the issue. All right, well, we'll wrap one, this. One, up. One yeah, can someone hand the mic? You know, I got to follow it, pull the teeth, do a little meat yeah. sample, yeah. on and on and on. Why 
so quick I have to have it validated, uh, not validated, but turn in my uh, license a week after the season. Isn't that kind of my successor unsuccessful for oh, a week after the season? You have a week after the end of the season yeah, to... Report. Is that what it said on your... Uh... If I read it right. Yeah, well, let's see what the, the regulation says. Reporting procedures for elk, 708.11. It's all right. Give me a second. Shall not be notified by mouse. Should the quota the zone. All tag holders shall return their license tags to the department within one week after the close of the elk season. Huh. That's why. Sorry. That <laughs> <laughs> don't give you much. If you're a working guy, and uh, I just, that don't give you much time. I mean, in my opinion. Uh, How long does it take to fill out an envelope? It takes me three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they give you a self-addressed stamp envelope in that packet? Yeah, they give you all kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, I think you know. there's a self-addressed stamp envelope in yeah, there. Yeah, but you go to a western state, you don't have to worry about it until you get home. And nope. uh, a lot of that, uh, six months, uh, they give you like six months. Before. Right, they send you a little postcard and said, hey, can you yeah. please let how us you know do? how you did? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know why it's so quick for elk. I don't know if it's more why deer. It's not like it's based on a quota system like bears or anything. Just in case the teeth rot, maybe. <sighs> Yeah, because I got to pull out the two front teeth. I, I got to give a small meat sample. A little meat sample for DNA. And, and something else. I forgot what it was. I mean, I, I got a booklet like that. All yeah. things I got to do. Well, you got to think. You're, you're doing a lot of the biological data for the biologist because for us, it's expensive to get hands-on with these, these elk. And elk do not do well with hands-on. No, they usually die. A lot of times they die, especially the bulls. We all think these bull elk are big, tough animals. They are pansies. <laughs> and they die. They do not like being handled. So, uh, yeah, that's why. I was just curious, why a week? I mean, you know, why not two? <laughs> uh, no, sure. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm curious myself. I didn't know that. Is that regulation? Or it is, is regulation. That is a regulation. So yeah. you could draft a proposal. Right. For the commission and try to get that changed. Solution. Action. Just trying to see if it's the same for antelope. Same for antelope. So. I see, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know either. So. Just special hunt stuff. Could be. Could be. What's it for sheep? I don't know. Did you have a question? I finally have a question. Yes! There it is. <laughs> We almost got everybody, I think. So, uh, it's just, um, for example, what is the um, the input or something like that from California Fish and Game about what happens with animals in certain areas? For example, the elk on the Point Reyes National Seashore, mm -hmm. where they're planning on killing the elk out in favor of the cows. And for example, years ago, they asked us and followed deer, although non-California natives got exterminated, they just shot left a rock. Right. What's our stance on that? Yeah, if there's any input, like for example, move the elk out of there so that- Well, we're not gonna move them. I'll tell you that, we're not gonna move them. Yeah. Just, 
uh, monetarily wise uh, and disease wise, we're not going to move them. We because just, that elk actually, that herd has, herd has diseases, diseases that can't be spread to any right. other disease that any other elk herds. Yes. It does. Yeah, so that that's out of the picture, right? Okay. So now we need to look at like, are we wasting anything, right? What are we wasting here? Can hunters eat those elk uh, and be safe? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not a, a disease biologist, you know, seriologist, or whatever that term oh. is. But they, uh, so we need to determine that, right? Do I think we can use hunting as a uh, as an eradication tool if that eradication is their goal? Oh, absolutely. I think we can. Where the department stands on that, I don't know. I would think we'd have a stance because the elk are a, we have all three subspecies of elk, so they're not an endangered species, and the state should have management authority over what happens to those elk. Should. There's probably some nuances that I'm not aware of. There, there's a lot of difficulty in that area with that herd. Um, with people that do not want anybody to go in there and kill them and they would rather pay the state to hire someone to come in and gut shoot them and have them run and die somewhere in a bush like what they did with the fallow deer in Marin County Um, and a solution that would be a really good solution would be like youth shared hunts Mm -hmm. you know because they're talking about only killing roughly 10 a year Tend to start and seeing what that does as far as the herd management is concerned. And I think the start is like max 10 a year and it'd be less and less as the years progress depending on offspring and what's going on out there. Um, It's going to be very difficult to get private land management tags out there in order to initiate a shared hunt program for youth Mm -hmm. or for any hunters whether it be auction tags or youth tags, but I can promise you that people are trying to do it. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it needs to be brought up and it needs to be talked about because, uh, I mean, none of us as ethical hunters want to see these animals wasted. And not just for the opportunity's sake, right, to go be one of those guys that gets to shoot them, but to the fact that we don't want these animals just to go get shot and rot. Right? Yeah. That's, That's what and if we're not out there with our you know with our voices saying hey we can help the situation and raise money and, doing it. and if we who care I guarantee they could raise money because these people are gonna a pay lot. you know and I'm not saying pay a lot I'm just saying Make it a drawing. Make it a drawing. drawing. Controllable, right? Youth, uh, sure, absolutely. Any of those options are viable options to minimize waste uh, of animals. So, another difficulty out there is that the preserve, where a lot of the elk have come from, is federal land. It's not state land, and that's a whole nother hurdle. Different, yeah, that that in itself. They have their own management plans, and it's it's difficult uh, for the feds to change their stuff. Just like it's, we have a process to change our stuff, but like positive change, like on federal land, is uh, the SAC refuge complex, all national wildlife refuges. So you got Delavan, Calusa, those ones. Things are changing on those where now we're going to be able to have turkey hunts on those national refuges. But it takes a big change, right? And I mean. 
if you want to get political or not, I mean, it came down from the top, right? From our president that says, I want to increase public opportunity on federal lands. So that's why these refuge complexes are increasing some opportunity on their lands. Is that going to be included in it? We'll see. But if we don't make our voices known, then we're just idle pawns in this whole thing. So, uh, anyway. You're welcome. So, uh -oh. we'll slow it down and we'll end it on that. We're running into two hours here. Um, I want to personally thank everybody that came out yeah. tonight. Yeah, thank you. Um, this was awesome. I think there was a lot of information. Um, I also think maybe there'd be room for doing another one in a few months or, you know, come next spring or something like that. People can sit on more information and come up with better questions. And we can drag Alan here. Absolutely. Down to continue, you know, this process that we're in, in the middle of. Um, I want to thank Kuyu yeah. so much for putting this event together. Todd, you spearheaded this. You were the wheels and the gears that got it going. We just got to show up and participate. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kuyu. Um, absolutely amazing event. And, you know, Nate, Kestrel Knives, we got a great view of what Goliath looked like tonight. I mean, you can't beat that. Well, I thought they were giving out samples. <laughs> free knives free knives for everybody right code kestrel on the website just kidding just kidding but yeah again thank you very much Kuyu. Yep, thank, thank you everybody you. who showed up and stuck around for two hours um i really you know i am deeply appreciative to everybody involved thank you all so much and uh, have a great night thanks for tuning into the show folks if you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.